Man, it's good to see you guys. Man, it's, it's filled in. It's a little bit more than even last week. Some of you weren't here, and uh, it's great to, to have you here. Yeah, actually, almost every row, except for PJ left that one open, so it's, it's still an open seat, even. So, PJ brought you some good news. I don't know if it's good news or bad news. We're ending Corinthians today. We're, we're finally finishing up. I'm going to put my binoculars away, um, but we are going to do one more message on focus. I don't know if you realize it or not, but we've been doing Corinthians for about 30 sermons, not 30 exact weeks because we had a couple of breaks in between with missions and vacations and things like that, but over 30 messages going through the book of Corinthians, right? And I still, it doesn't always work out this way, but I still believe that God was purposely having us go through it for the time that we're in. Yeah? Someone, someone just said they, they agreed with me? Wow. Whew, that's, that's scary in and of itself. That, that doesn't happen often, no. But it, it's been so true as we've been working through it, how it applies to today's world and things that are going on and how outside these walls is chaos, and how much of that can influence us in here if we're not careful, and the importance of coming each week and focusing on what's most important, and letting some of those other things get out of the way. Now, that being said, you folks know me. I need help, right? A lot of help. Uh, that's, that's a whole nother story, but the, the help I need this morning, some of the... I mean, narrow that down a little bit, is I need help. Tell me some of the things that you've gotten out of this study of Corinthians, all right? And you know I don't ask rhetorical questions, so I'm expecting some answers back, but just give me something. It doesn't have to be in order, but just something that you've picked out over these last months that we've been doing. It. Just give me... Jeff. God does not change. God does not change. That is certainly true. God is consistent. God is always there. He's always faithful. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Orderly worship. Yeah. What happens when that doesn't work, right? Yeah. You remember that, especially because you took part in that, right? We, we tried it. We did that experiment, right? And the elders all unanimously vetoed me, and that's, that was a one and done. We won't do that again. But right, God's a God of order. God requires orderly worship. What else? Come on, there was a lot. I mean, I know there's been a, a ton in there, and, and so I need help. Gospel. The gospel. What, what about the gospel? Is, is that important? Very. Very, yeah. Paul says first importance, right? We did that just recently. That, that, that is vitally important. And with that gospel message, what, what else is important? What part of that is important, especially? Resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the importance of our resurrection. Yeah. What else? A lot of What's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Paul did a lot of instructing, right? He corrected this church on a regular basis. You know why? Because they were a young church, and they were immature, and they made a lot of mistakes. Um, Paul has to go back there. We'll find that out today a little bit, but they didn't get it on the first try. Do we always get the lesson on the first go-around? At this point in my life, no. I'm still learning some, a lot of the same lessons that I already knew, but... I just, oh, that obedience thing, you know, or a slow learner. Uh, sometimes I need the two-by-four upside the head to help me with those, all right? Someone just asked me about, you know, 
God disciplines those he loves, and do we really like discipline? And yeah, we need that. What else? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Yeah. What was the problem in the current church? Did they have any spiritual gifts there? Yeah, they had plenty, right? Problem is they were battling on which one was better, right? I thought maybe that there was some words up on the screen today. I didn't know if that was somebody talking. Gloria, exo, deo, what, I mean, that, no, no, that's not what we were talking about. But again, they fought over even spiritual gifts. Anything else? Huh? Man, they are so good. Yeah, yeah, I, those, I, I got Gloria and in, but after that, I'm not so sure. No. God is love, right? Focusing on God's love. Yeah, we, in fact, Paul devotes a whole chapter to love and, and love not only loving those that are easy to love, but loving those that aren't so easy. And what that entails, right? Love is an action. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot to it. And again, he's talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church setting. That's not easy to do. I mean, here, if you don't love someone or you don't even like them, I mean, we can spread out pretty far. I mean, you know, Ryan to Tony is a long distance, so, you know, and Tony might duck out. You, you won't have to even talk to him this week, Ryan, if you... I'm just kidding. I know you guys, I think you guys are all right. If not, we'll talk after. But no. We're good? You're good. Tony's not hard to get along with. So, But there's been a lot. And again, there were a lot. And, and part of the other arching theme in Corinthians has been the unity, right? Keeping the body of Christ together. And then obviously focusing on what's most important and not letting things divide. Laurie, are you paying attention? Plaid and no plaid is not something to fight over. She told me this morning, I dressed wrongly because I didn't have plaid. I didn't get the memo. And there's some people that got the memo, and then some of us didn't. That's not something we're going to argue over or divide over. No. Plaid's okay. No plaid's okay. Church, no, no. And certainly this one is not perfect because I know the pastor. I see him in the mirror, I know, I know that for a fact. But all that being said, we're at chapter 16, and we're going to finish this morning, and the title of today's message is Focus on Giving. You say, Charlie, no, you're not going to speak about giving, right? Finances. Well, I am a little bit. I don't know about you, but on Tuesday, I got inundated, and I'll say I got inundated with Giving Tuesday every Pretty much every organization that I connected with or ever even thought about being connected with sent me something about Giving Tuesday. Some I didn't even know were sending me, hey, it's Giving Tuesday. Give to this, give to that, right? There was a lot of conflicting messages. And I would love to be able to give to all of them, but you know what? The reality is sometimes the more we give to different things is we're really not very effective because we are not helping that much. It's just another thing, and it's not what the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And so we'll get into that. But so we're going to focus on giving, because Paul focuses that. Interestingly, it's at the end of the letter, right? With all their problems, and you can say, well, they had a lot of problems. Why is he going to bring that up? And a lot of times on Paul's letters, the end has the kicker, right? I learned this in, in Bible school when they talk about messages. You want to have a good beginning, you want to have good meat in the middle, and you want to have a good kicker at the end, right? 
Paul does that pretty good here with his letters, and probably that's where they got the, the formula. They also said they like to have three points and major points. Yeah, and I don't follow any of that because I'm not perfect in that regard. So, But start with a joke first. Well, the plaid and no plaid thing is probably as close as I come. I, I'm not very good at jokes either, so that doesn't always work. Let's get back to the scripture so I don't get in any more trouble this morning. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send with them your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So we're going to stop right there. Again, this is uh, kind of the, the kickoff here of this section. And again, it's coherent with what's been going on. Chapter 15, all the correction and that. And now Paul's wrapping this letter up and he's saying, oh, by the way, I'm coming and I want you to take up a collection. Now, for you that are planners, you probably would like this, right? You'd say, hey, Paul's setting us up. He's letting me know, hey, ahead of time, I'm going to be taking a collection, right? I mean, I always hate that when someone hits me in the spur of the moment because PJ doesn't let me carry much cash. Like, you very seldom have much cash on me, right? And there's not always one of those swipey things, Joe. They're not everywhere. We have one here at church, but they're not everywhere. So a lot of times I don't have that, and I don't like getting that sprung on. And it's not always the best way to make a decision either on giving. Just like all those emails on Tuesday, most of them ended up in the trash because I hadn't prayed about them, I hadn't thought about them. It was a spur of the moment. They're trying to get you an emotional gift. But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's letting them know, hey, we're going to be taking up a collection. And we don't have it here other than just for the Jerusalem church. But again, if you look at the history, the church in Jerusalem was struggling mightily. There was a famine in the land. They'd been under persecution. They were struggling. And normally, in that day, when people were struggling, they could rely upon their family to take care of them. But in Jerusalem, there was a lot of Jewish believers, and guess what? When they switched to Christianity, they lost their family. They lost that family support. So a lot of them didn't have that. It was already a famine. It was already a struggle. And so Paul, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, hey, we need to help out that church in Jerusalem. Some of them may have even had ties back with that, because remember, that's where the original church started, back in Jerusalem. And so Paul says, hey, let's set aside some money. A couple of great principles here, right? He doesn't say tithe, right? doesn't say set a, a tenth, right? I, I grew up in a church, tithe and offerings, that's, that's standard. And again, financially giving, it's not a bad place to start, but it's not a New Testament command. Just put it right out there. But the idea of giving is... And this is not the only place in Scripture where it talks about giving. In fact, Paul referenced that church in Galatia. Hey, I instructed them the same way. Paul, and what he's saying is, I'm requiring that from a lot of churches to give. But he doesn't set an amount, does he? Right? Just says a, a sum of money, right? According to your income. Right? So what he's really looking for here is, is, is an offering. Something that's above and beyond your normal giving if you have means, right? 
So again, there's no dollar amount. There's no set amount. I always get the end of the month. How much, Pastor? How much is it? Is it this amount? And, and you know, when do I do it? Do I do it at the end of the month? I, I've even had that conversation. Is it net or is it gross? And what percentage? And It's a heart thing. It's part of the worship. It's part of what he's been talking about, right? Been talking about them in the church, how they worship's been wrong, and he wants to correct that. So you got all that in this little verse about giving and giving to a good cause. Giving to the brothers in Jerusalem who are struggling just to get their daily bread. They're struggling just to be able to get together and meet. Now, again, like I said, some of the principles there, giving on the, the first day of the week, right? I don't know about you, but with me, I know when, when we used to sit down with our bills and, and we were thinking, tithes we used to put down at the bottom quite often. And if we did that, guess what? There wasn't anything down at the end of the, right? That tithe would be a little cut short, or we'd be tempted to cut that short. Right? You say, no, make that a priority right at the beginning. Write that out first. And again, I said tithes and offerings. Again, I'm, I'm old school. I've been in, it's hard to get that out. But even the offering, right at the beginning. And he says, set it aside, right? So it's not that spur of the moment, but it's something that you plan on, something that you have. Because when I come, I want to be able to send, either send some people or go myself, right? He even lets this church, young as it is, pick the people that they, they want to go, right? Pick, pick some people from your group that you trust to give money, Right? Now, if I wanted to jump off this and go into a temptation of money and, and corruption, it would be pretty easy. Um, we all know examples of that, right? Um, giving money is not always foolproof. And I can almost guarantee on Giving Tuesday, there were some of those that were fake or the money didn't get where it was supposed to. Paul saying, no, give me some trusted people that you trust and I'll even write letters to them to make it so that they have proof that they are approved. And then we'll send them on their way. Again, they didn't have, you know, they couldn't just wire it across. They couldn't just swipe their card. They would have to physically carry this money. So Paul wants to make sure the money gets to the people. And now Paul goes into some personal remarks. We're going to jump on to verse 5 here. And Actually, it was kind of interesting in our men's group. We watched Colossians yesterday, and they were wrapping up the study in Colossians and talks about the personal notes and the personalization. Paul does the same thing. So he loves these people. He wants to personalize it. So here's some personal requests or some things that Paul is going to say here in these next couple of verses as we set this up. He says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I'll be going through Macedonia, perhaps... I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey. Wherever I go, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work was opened to me and there has traveled in who opposed me. Right? So Paul's making plans, and he's, he's saying his travels, and again, we know from other scripture, right? Paul always said, you know, if the Lord is willing. So he's laid out plans, but they're not very solid, right? 
You wouldn't want to start setting the table for Paul to be there, but he's saying, I'm hoping to come. But even through that, he's saying, here's my plan route. And he says, I don't want to just rush in and do a quick visit. I want to be able to spend some time with you. Right? And I think we know from some of his other letters, Paul cared about them, but he wanted to see, give them some time to make some changes. Right? If you're teaching and you're investing and you're correcting, you want to give them some time to process that. And just like this morning, when we are taking answers, y'all had different answers, right? From different, different things speak to us. Not all of these apply to every person in there. Not all these corrections apply to each and every situation. So Paul, I think, wanted to give them some time, but he says, I am going to come back, and I'm going to spend some time with you. And as we know from the other letters, Paul had to come back and spend some more time with them because they didn't get it. They weren't sure. The other thing here, too, by him telling his route, he's letting them know that they're not alone, Right? Sometimes we need that reminder that we are not the only church. You know, PJ, we do that on Pernation this morning, and we belong as part of the Alliance, and there are things going on, and we do that on purpose here to, to keep us connected. Paul's doing the same thing. There are other churches, and they're struggling too, and they have issues too. You're not the only one, right? So, you know, if I was in the church in Corinth, I might say, hey, Paul, you're picking on us, man. Is there anything good about us? You know, maybe, maybe they even said, hey, Paul, why don't you just skip us? Yeah, just skip us this time. Just go on to Ephesus, hang out there, skip us here. I don't want to hear the, hear the story again. But no, that's not what Paul's doing. He's connecting them, letting them know that they are important. He does want to get there, and he doesn't want to just run through, but he wants to spend some time with them. He also shares in verse 8 about he wants to stay on in Ephesus because the door has been open. You know, that's a, that's a great reminder, too, that always looking for new opportunities. Right? And Paul sees one in Ephesus. And we know that a church actually gets planted there and actually does really well there in Ephesus. But it also had a hardship there. There was some opposition. Paul has to establish himself as an apostle there. And they had false teachers in there. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians, and that'll give you some insight into that. Right? It's where the, the great put on the full armor of God, uh, of God comes on. And there were some doctrinal issues that he had to straighten out. So even though the church in Corinth had problems, the church in Ephesus had problems too. But Paul says, there's a great door that's been opened to me. Right? He's gotten a chance. But that being said, what we know, it wasn't easy. Did you ever find that in your own life? God opens a door for you and you would be able to step in and, and you think you're doing exactly what God wants and you, you very well are doing what God wants but there's some challenges. There's some hurdles to get over. There's some struggles. There may be even some pushback. And we know that. But Paul doesn't fear. He goes through that door. And like I said, church gets established and does fairly well there and reaches many people in that city. Verse 10. We hear about some other folks here. If, again, if is uh, maybe, if God allows, Timothy comes See to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he's carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him, send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. It's kind of hard for us to understand this, but in that day, their, their preachers or, or their apostles or those who were in the church would move around. 
they would rotate a little bit, right? It's an interesting concept. Uh, I'm glad we don't practice that today. Our last move, I'm not sure that I want to be moving to a pulpit every couple of months. Uh, um, Our last move was well enough. I'm trying to forget that one now and glad that I'm here. But they would move people around, in and out, teachers. But also it was a way of communicating between the churches. And Timothy is one of those that Paul is his spiritual father. we We know a lot about Timothy because there's letters written and we have a lot of instruction from Paul about, but Timothy is coming along, but he was also kind of a, he was a young man, but he was also kind of fearful. And, and Paul is letting the church know, hey, I'm sending him, accept him as though you would accept me, right? Again, giving him credibility, giving him some authority, and say, hey, welcome him, right? Sometimes us older folks, and I'll say it, I'm going to put myself in there, we don't always look at younger folks in the right perspective, right? We, we, look, we look down on them. Or, hey, they're still wet behind the ears, right? That's a phrase I've heard more than once. And um, I was laughing. I was reminded, even though at my age, uh, someone who's been ministering for 43 years and much my senior said to me, says, hey, you young whippersnappers, when you get to 40 years of ministry, then you can, can talk. And so it was a reminder of that. Paul's saying, hey, treat him the same way. Help him along, but don't keep him, right? Paul writes that in his letter, hey, send him along. Send him back to me. Again, because Paul is, is networking long before there was a network among the churches. And so that's part of that here. There's a lot in the closing. Talks about another person here. Now you, now about our brother, verse 12, Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with his brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. I know, it's been a long time, but remember chapter one? Remember Apollos, right? Remember there was some division, right? Apollos was one of the preachers there, and they were fighting, whether it was Paul or Apollos or Cephas, right? They were arguing. So they know Apollos, and they're saying, hey, I want to send him to you as well. They're very real, may have been some people saying, hey, you know, don't bother sending Timothy, send us Apollos. We want to hear him again. He's a good speaker. We, we'd like to hear him. Nothing wrong with that, but Paul is saying, I, I plan on sending him, but he's unwilling to go. This is one of those in scriptures. We don't know why Apollos was unwilling to go. Maybe Apollos was in a place where things were happening and, and he didn't feel it was the right time. Maybe he didn't want to go because Corinth wasn't his favorite place. I don't know. Right? But there's a reason. But Paul says he will come, you know, 13, well, and he'll get there, and that's part of it. All right, verse 13, 13 and 14. If you want to underline something, this would be one of those that you might want to underline, these next two verses. Be on your guard, stand firm in faith. Be men. You can almost end the letter here, right? This is, a, this is the kicker. If, if I was going to put a kicker in here, this is the kicker here. <clears throat> Remember, this is a young, immature church, and he's saying, hey, be on your guard, right? It's kind of that hearkening back to focus. Remember, be on your guard. There are things from the outside that want to creep in. Be on your guard. Watch out for these things. Don't be unaware. Stay close together, right? Be on your guard. Be watching out. And then I love this next one, stand firm. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's one of the things that's in there over and over again. Paul talks about standing firm. 
right? Quite often it's a military term about standing firm, <clears throat> standing ready, firm, so you're going to take the blow, right? Holding ground, not losing ground. Romans were very good at that. They showed force, and, and once they took a land or conquered it, they didn't give it up easily. So that's poverty in Paul's mind here. But standing firm, standing on those things that are most important. And so he reiterates that stand firm. A friend of mine once said, also don't forget on what ground you're standing. Think about that for a minute. Again, I can't take credit for that. His name was John that said it to me, but remember whose ground you're standing on. It's a good reminder. In the faith, be men of courage, right? Be men of courage, right? That's a, a word we don't use a lot of, but be men of courage. Again, he's striving them to go on, to mature, right? To be bold. It's another word you can put in there. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. You can stand firm. There's some things you can stand on. There's some hills. Be strong in your feet. You can die on. And so he's saying, be of courage. Be strong. Be strong in your faith, right? Remember, one of the other goals in this was to be maturing, right? He wanted them to grow. There was different things that we were working through to get to that place of maturity. The resurrection was one of them, sound doctrine, unity. And then verse 14, small little sentence he sticks in here. Do everything in love, right? Now, Paul earlier writes in chapter 13 in our Bible, says he wrote a whole chapter about love, right? We call it the love chapter, right? So he just puts this in as a reminder. Don't forget that we need to love each other. We need, that's got to be part of it. It's not an army of one. We're not standing alone. We need to stand together. And love holds us together. And how we do that love is important, right? In fact, I, you could make the argument, it's one of the, the keys that people should see when they see a church body. They should see their love, their love for one another, and how we interact with that, how important that is. Um, certainly not division and all that, but that loving one another, love in action. Some more, verse 15. It says, you know that the household of Stephanus were, were the first converts, and Achia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fornonius and Archias arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Right? He's holding them up as an example, right? Sometimes there's the correction, the hard hand, but there's the other way of helping people too is to encourage them, right? Reward good behavior. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, here's some good examples. And not just short term, right? Stephanus was one of the first converts, and he's saying, hey, this guy's done this right for a while. Look at what he's doing, right? Submit to them. Maybe you need to take some notes from them. They're a good example of how a church operates, right? And so he holds them up. He recognizes them as someone to follow after, someone to come up 
alongside, right? Join them in the work, right? You know, we, we often think of work as a bad thing, but working towards something's a good thing, right? Putting some effort into it. Yes, we have the Lord. He does a lot. He blesses. I'm not saying that we're work based on anything else, but we do have to put some effort into it, right? Each and every week, there's a lot of work that goes on to just coming here on a Sunday morning, right? I know the praise team. They don't just jump up and just, hey, what song you want to sing? And it's, it, there's some work behind it, right? Sound guys, they're here early. They're trying to make everything as smooth as possible and with screens and what verses is Pastor Charlie going to pick out this week, right? There's some work behind that. There's some preparation in the message. Camp Point Way, there's work out there that's being done. Things are happening all the time. We have to work at them to make them what they are on a Sunday morning. And Paul's referring that, hey, these people are laboring, they're working, they're doing well. Also makes a little kick in here, a little nudge. He says, hey, they supplied my needs where you were lacking. I don't know if this was a backhanded thing or just a nudge. It doesn't really say, uh, when I was looking through the, the commentaries about this, but he is kind of pointing out, hey, they supplied something that you didn't have. Now, whether it was financial, encouragement, leadership, we're not sure. Next. Whatever it was, Paul wanted to see the, the church in Corinth do it next. And he said, hey, maybe you need to go talk to these guys. And then lastly, he says, such men deserve recognition, right? It's good to recognize those things. I grew up where it was polite to say thank you after someone gave you something or be appreciative when someone did something extra, right? We need to do that. It's important to do that. Someone accomplished something. They get to a certain spot, recognize them. We are sorely lacking that in today's culture. There you go. I knew I'd get that word out eventually, right? But recognizing, right? Giving respect for the job or for the things that people do. All right, meddled enough. Verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia sent you greetings. Quill and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What? Is that mask or no mask? Or, no. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. There was a joke. You just had to wait a while. You knew it was coming, right? No. I, I've quoted this a number of times, and it's always one of those that's kind of funny. But that you are culturally. It's a culturally. Holy kiss, again. But it's, it's, a, it's a sign that you are someone more than just a casual acquaintance. It's not something you would have done in the marketplace. It's something that it signifies, hey, you're part of the family, right? There are cultures that still do that. We were in Hungary. We watched it happen, right, Rach? Right? Kind of weird the first time because you're not used to it. But we also learn in other cultures as well. The Italian culture, right? Dear friend of mine, one of my best friends, and we used to play softball, and she would say, hey, come on over. We're going to make, I'm making some gravy, Again, that's meatball and sauce. For you that aren't Italian, you'll understand what that is. There was always a pot on, right? But if you walked in that door and didn't go over and give her a kiss on the cheek, A, you might not get it. B, there was a hand coming up pretty quickly to the other side of your head to make sure, 
right? That was cultural. You gave her the respect. And believe me, she fed me well. I had no problem from the first couple of times learning that lesson. I didn't get smacked often to come in and give her a kiss, right? And that was her way of saying, hey, you're family. You're part of us now, right? I'm treating you just like I do my favorite grandson. I don't know if he was his favorite, but because there was two boys in that family. But again, the holy kiss is just a, a significance, right? It, it's more. We're, we're connected. We care about each other. And he's holding that together. Also mentions Aquila and Priscilla. And you hear them because, again, they were converts. If you go back and look up their names and look in the book of Acts, you'll see where they were early converts. And they worked as a team, husband and wife, and they actually helped start a church. We see that says the church that meets in their home. You know, we, we say church in our minds, in our Western minds, we think of building, right? But buildings didn't come along until almost the third century. It's been a while. But they would meet in areas or common places or in a home. And so that's part of that here. But he mentions them by name, right? He probably used them as examples. He probably referenced them. Again, they weren't from Corinth. Uh, they were from Ephesus in that area. But Paul makes that connection, right? Hey, there are other people out there that care about you. That's really what he's saying here as he's connecting them. And so he says, all the brothers send you greetings. It's a lot here, just in the closing, right? He's winding this down. Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Right? say, Paul didn't write them in his own hand? No, actually, he would scribe them out quite often. He'd have someone else write them. Probably it was, Timothy was one of those. Luke wrote some for him. Right? He would just dictate them to him. And probably it was more of a, a conversation and, and, again, sometimes getting those thoughts out. I need a couple of those sometimes. You know? That's why you don't get to see my finished copies of my sermon because you wouldn't be able to pick out through it. Right? But no, he's... He scribed them out because he wanted it to flow. He wanted to make sure he got his point across. But again, Paul wrote this one. He says, hey, I write this with my own hand. This is coming from me because he had the relationship with them. Right? He cared about them. And he also knew that there are some tough things that he's been saying to them. Right? None of us really like to be corrected. And sometimes when someone kind of comes down on us hard, what do we normally do? What does our human flesh want to do? What's that? We get defensive, but do we want to hang out with them anymore? Do we want to nuzzle up to them and get close? No. We have to battle our flesh, right? We want to separate, right? Tony's getting ready to duck out, Ryan, just so you know. No. But it's true. We can be honest, right? We, we tend to avoid them. That's kind of like our first and foremost. We may not battle them directly, but we, and Paul doesn't want that. And he's saying, hey, I know I've been not tough on you, but I love you and I care about you, and because I do, I want to stay connected with you. And so I wrote this in my own hand. This is coming from me. And I'm going to come and see you, and I'm going to spend some time with you, and we're going to work this out together, is what he's really saying here overall. He tucks in a few more things here in verse 22. He says, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. It's interesting. This is only in in the, the letter here. It's not in a lot of his other letters, but... If anyone does not love the Lord, curse be on him, right? Remember what he said was first importance, right? That gospel. 
And so he, I think he's hearkening back to that, how important it is for that relationship with God, the love that comes from that. Right? If not, you're operating in a deficit. You can't do it. You're not part of us, right? He also could be referring on this, come, O Lord. Remember that early church, and we talked a little bit about this last week, about the always looking for the, the rapture, right? We're looking for him to come again, right? This is not all there is. There's more to come. There's much better. I can't believe anyone, no one said anything about glorified bodies when I was asking for that. Man, I, I was excited about that when I read that, right? I, I, to get that new body, no more aches, no more pains. Vicky, no more backache, right? Amy, no crook neck. I mean, she's dealt with that this morning, right? Most of us could remain somewhere this morning. None of that with our glorified bodies. It's a good reminder. Hey, there's more to come. And then lastly here, verse 23 and 24, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Again, this is a letter, and though we spent 30-some-odd sermons on it, it's actually all one cohesive letter. And he's wrapping this up and bringing it back to, that's the end of this. This is all I've got to say now. And we know Paul goes back there. We know Paul writes other letters, and we have two of them, but we don't have all of them. We know there's at least three um, that were written and probably more. These are the ones that made it into our... Bible that we have today, but it's all together. This is all part of it, and Paul said, hey, out of all the things that I've said, I love you, and I care about you, and we're in this together. He's, again, pulling that unity, pulling them back together again. So, chapter 16, we finished. We've also finished our series, but a couple of questions for you. A couple of things to, to take away from this passage, right? As you know, I don't like to just do passages for the sake of doing them or just for information, but what can we take about that? Take away that. So, how are we doing in giving, right? How are we doing in giving? And again, not just financially, but for time, our effort. How are we doing in giving? Again, this is not a plea for money in any regards. This is just what Scripture pulls out. But how are we doing in that area of giving? Would someone describe us as a church as strong, courageous, standing firm in the faith, loving? Would they describe us as that? And if not, what can we do to fix it? I'm not answering any of these questions. I'm leaving these for you. These are, these are to work on. I've wrestled with these all week, and I'm still not quite sure of all the answers to that. Lastly, personally, how are you growing? Right? Yes, we can grow as a church, but how are you personally growing? Are you maturing in your faith with God? Right? Remember, that's, Paul's taking them from one spot, and he wants them to be growing and moving on. Are you maturing in your walk with the Lord? Are you growing? Personally, that's a personal question. You have to answer that. It's not always measurable, right? We grow at different rates. We grow in different areas. You know, I don't have any special ability. God doesn't give me the ability to see into your times with the Lord or what you're wrestling with. I don't, I don't get that. Once in a while, you give me glimpses. 
But you have to tell me. I'm, I'm not that insightful. God doesn't give me a special dispensation or a spiritual gift to see that. But are you growing? Are you maturing in your faith? It's all part of that. So, we finish Corinthians. Brandon, I'm not doing 2 Corinthians next week. So He actually asked me. He wasn't here last Sunday, so we'll cut him. Now I won't cut him with too much grace, but yes. But it's a good book. It's a good reminder that we could become similar if we're not careful here at Point Way. So bow with me, please, as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your word that does instruct us. And Lord, the, the love that you have shown, not only to the church in Corinth, but Lord, to us here at Point Way. And how you continue to do that, how you continue to take care of us. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to show us those areas that we need to improve in. And Lord, may our love be evident to those around us. Help us to come back together each week as we do focus on you and your word and relationship and our relationships with each other, that you be glorified through that. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple of elders to come up as we do communion this morning. So, you guys are not elders, though. What do you, but I need a couple of elders to come forward. Um, we are going to take communion this morning and Again, not forgetting that. And, you know, the Christmas season certainly is about Jesus' birth. But, again, the reason that he came in his birth was to die on the cross for us. And we don't want to forget that either, especially during this time. It's one old pastor used to say, yeah, Christmas is here, but Easter's coming, right? One of our youngest people comes up here as well. No, I never know what's going to happen on a Sunday morning. It's great. I got you. I got you. It's okay. It's all good. But here at Point Way, our, our communion table is open. It's open to all who believe. And so, um, but in that, we also want to take those precautions. And we actually even learned how to do that. And so, following that instruction from Paul in Corinthians, scripture tells us it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Does a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks from the cup? For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so what we like to do here at Point Way is just close your eyes, bow your head, and it's just between you and God, and we'll just give you some time to, to wrestle that out or to talk to him alone. So just bow with me, please.
going to ask Bryce if he'll give thanks for the, the cup and the bread that we're about to receive. Heavenly Father, thank you for this bread and this, this cup, the, the symbolism, the remembrance of, of you, of your sacrifice on the cross, your paying the, the debt we could not pay. We partake in this, Lord. I just ask you to help us to remember perfect life, remember your death and resurrection, just rejoice together in remembrance of you, bless us in the cup and bread to our bodies, we pray, amen. Amen. You can also be receiving both together, and we tend to do it together as a church body, but if you want to take it ahead of time, that's fine as well, but just so you know, for those that are visiting today. Take the bread first. It says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture goes on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. And whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. One of the other things I want to encourage is we're reminded that we still have leftover bread and leftover cups uh, of juice, that there are still folks out there that do not know the Lord and cannot partake in communion yet because they do not know. And so I would encourage you to be bold and courageous this week in sharing with someone. Maybe someone's got, God's already laid on your heart that needs to know the Lord as Savior. So please do that this coming week.